John 3, verses 16 and 17. It says, For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is the Lord's word, church. You can take your seats. Ask you to join me for another moment of prayer. <clears throat> God, what powerful verses before us today. First off, that you love us. We who are rebels against you and your perfect will, you still have abounding love for so much so that you were willing to give the ultimate sacrifice in Christ Jesus. You sent your son. You gave him. So that we who were foreigners and strangers, enemies with you, might have the chance of redemption and salvation and being made into sons of yours ourselves. God, I pray and ask that as we read these familiar verses this morning, that the familiarity wouldn't take away from the profoundness of them. I pray and ask that we'd have soft hearts and open minds to consider your word afresh today. That you and your kindness gave Christ, affording us the chance at eternal life through belief in him. Affording us the chance to have salvation instead of condemnation. We rejoice in this, Lord, and I pray and ask that our Joy in this truth will grow today. And if there be anybody under the sound of my voice that does not yet have joy in this truth, I pray and ask that the simplicity and the complexity of these verses would pierce our hearts this morning. Would you give them eyes to see its truth? Would you remove the scales and the veil from their eyes so that they might behold Jesus in all of his glory? By the weight of this great sacrifice, this great gift that we're given in him. We're on every heart and mind in the room this morning. And God, I pray and plead for your grace to preach toward the end this morning. You know how desperately I'm in need of your help. As a mortal man, I stand with intentions to preach, but unless you do what only you can with your divine power, my preaching is pointless. And so God, I pray and ask that you would take your word, and that you would embed it into the hearts and minds of your people. Give me grace, Father. I avail myself as a vessel of yours, and I plead for abundant grace for the preaching of your word. It's for your glory, with dependence upon your spirit, and in the name of your Son, that I both pray and preach. Amen. Well, John 3.16, arguably the most memorized, most quoted, most familiar verse in all of Scripture. As a matter of fact, I'm willing to bet that at least 75% of the people in the room probably have a shirt or a cup, some kind of framed picture, maybe a magnet. You probably got something with John 3.16 written on it. And it's understandable, right? I mean, John 3.16 is one of the most clear 
and succinct summaries of the Christian gospel that you'll come across. It, in essence, simplifies what the entirety of Scripture is getting at. But I want you to hear me on this, church. While John 3.16 certainly simplifies the Christian gospel, it does not oversimplify the Christian gospel. You see, this verse is both simple and complex at the same time. And I think it's for that reason that every now and then, maybe even every Christmas, we need to return to John 3.16 and and really sit with the, the complexity that it holds. Because see, in its simplicity, this verse simply communicates to us that Jesus came as God's son and Jesus came as man's savior. But in its complexity, this verse profoundly communicates to us that Jesus came as God's son and Jesus came as man's savior. And you see, this statement may not be as easy to swallow for everybody as it is for some of us. I mean, the statement here in the verses, they're, they're actually made by Jesus in the context of a conversation with a man who was struggling to believe this. Uh, Jesus was talking with Nicodemus, uh, this religious man who thought he understood all he needed to understand about the ways of God. But when Jesus shows up as the son of God, sent by God to save the world from their sins, uh, Nicodemus struggles to understand this. You see, he expected Jesus to come not as savior of the world and all who would believe, but as savior of the Jewish people. Uh, He expected Jesus to come not as a homeless man, not as a nomad, but as a man with wealth and riches and many homes. He expected Jesus to come not as one who would be persecuted to death, but as one who would wage war on the Roman Empire and defeat all his enemies by earthly battle. Nicodemus didn't expect Jesus to come in the ways he did, but Jesus tells Nicodemus in a conversation that leads up to our verses for the day that God had different plans than Nicodemus did. You see, Jesus told Nicodemus, friends, that God had plans to save and to love all. He had plans to save all who would believe in and follow Jesus as their Lord. He says, as a matter of fact, that this very thing is the proof of God's love. Jesus says that by sending him in the ways God had sent him, God was showing the world the ultimate form of love. And so all I want to do this morning is to kind of relay the message that Jesus was communicating to Nicodemus. It is proof of God's love for you that he sent Jesus as a savior. It is proof of God's love for you, church, that he sent his son to save all who would believe. Like if you've ever wondered whether or not God loves you, you can stop wondering today because the answer is yes. And the proof is that he sent his one and only son to make salvation possible for the world. But let me see if I can can make it mean what it means for us today. Like, why is it a big deal that Jesus came as God's son? Uh, What does it mean that Jesus was sent into into the world as the son of God? Uh, Well, one thing it means is that God has made the greatest sacrifice ever known. You see those two words in this morning's verses, gave in verse 16 and sent in verse 17. John uses these two words interchangeably. Uh, The word for gave means what you think it does. It means gave. God granted. He bestowed. He he donated. He gave freely Christ Jesus. And the word for sent has a connotation of someone giving instructions and then sending them to to fulfill a particular mission. It's the same uh, Greek root word as the word apostle, who were those that Jesus would later appoint and, and send to continue his mission. And John, using these words, gave and sent, him using these words interchangeably with one another, it communicates to us that the sending of Christ was at the same time a giving and donating of Christ. It is God freely giving his one and only son. It was a sacrifice on God's part for Christ to be sent. Now, I know we're in the throes of the Advent season, like we're in the midst of, of Christmas season, right? The day before Christmas we are right now. 
And rightly so, during this season, we, we kind of get caught up in the Advent Christmas narrative, right? We rejoice that Christ was born as a baby. Uh, we set up nativity scenes that depict his birth. We do as we did on Friday night, and we have a joyful gatherings that highlight the birth of Christ. There are many different things we do to, to, to kind of give heightened focus and concentration to the birth of our Savior. And this is a good practice of ours. Like, we should do this. Like, we at Pioneer Church will continue to do this if I continue to be the pastor here. We're going to look at the birth of Christ each and every year and rejoice in the truth of it. But one of the worst things we could do in the midst of all of it, a poor move on our part, would be to divorce the Advent narrative, uh, to separate the Christmas story from this other story that we'll celebrate in just a few months. You see, we don't want to celebrate or we don't want to separate the Christmas narrative from the Easter narrative, friends. It wasn't separate in God's mind. My point with all of this is that in the initial sending of Christ, God knew that the sending of his son meant giving him as a sacrifice for the salvation of humanity. In the initial coming of Christ, God knew that Christ was coming to die and bear the weight of the punishment for the sins of the world. And so may it not be lost on us, church, that what we celebrate in this season is that we've received the greatest gift in the initial advent of Christ. But in order for this, this gift to be, in order for this to happen, our God had to give this greatest gift through the sending of his son. May it not be lost on us that, that we've been given a gift and God gave it as a sacrifice from his vantage point. The missional sending of Christ was also the sacrificial giving of Christ. And God had these sacrificial plans from before the beginning of time. He had in his plans from day one to give, to, to, to sacrificially send his son. And it isn't in, 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 on any light level that God gives and sacrifices. You see, this text rightly reminds us, church, that Jesus was God's one and only son. Think about that. His one and only son, and he gave him for the sake of our salvation. Christ, the one and only son of God, he is the one who from before the beginning of time dwelled in heaven with God the Father and shared in the same nature as God the Father and lived harmoniously in a, perfect, lovely, a perfectly loving relationship with God the Father. Christ is the one who dwelt with God in this way, and yet Christ is the one who God sent and gave as a sacrifice for the salvation of the world. Jesus was God's only son, and yet he willingly came, and God willingly gave this one and only son. I mean, can you wrap your minds around that? I don't think I fully understood this until I became a dad and had a son of my own. Like, I was a mess in that hospital room. Oakland was born, I'm talking about ugly crying, like boo-hoo crying in front of them nurses. And he hadn't done anything yet. All he had done was be born. All he had to do was exist, and I knew this new radical love that I'd never known before. I mean, can you wrap your minds around it? This language of sonship is actually intended to help us do that. Uh, Jesus being referred to as God's son uh, communicates many things about their relationship and about the mission of Christ. But one of the primary things it's in intended to communicate is something about the, the love that exists between Christ and the father. I mean, even the most loving father to son or son to father relationships that we can think of, they pale in comparison to the love that exists between Christ and God the father. And yet we have the Christmas season where we get to celebrate the sacrificial gift that Jesus is. Can you imagine a one and only son being given as a sacrifice? There was one man who came about as close to knowing this sacrifice as any of us ever will. I remember Abraham from the, the book of Genesis. Well, Abraham also had a one and only son at one point. My Bible readers will recall how 
In Genesis 22, God gave Abraham the radical instructions to take this only son. He wanted him to take Isaac up a mountain and kill him as a sacrificial offering. And you'll recall how Abraham obeyed God and how he, he grabbed some wood and, and split the wood so they were burned at the sacrifice. Uh, you'll recall how, how he set out with his son and a few men from their tribe. And, and you'll recall how they set out on this journey up that mountain, how they eventually came to a place where Abraham said to the men, stay here because my son and I are going for me to do what God has told me to do. And you'll recall how as Abraham and Isaac walked up this mountain by themselves, Isaac looked at all they had and he said, Daddy, I see that we've got wood. I know that we got fire. But where's the lamb for us to sacrifice? And you ought to recall, friends, how Abraham replied by saying that God will provide the lamb for their sacrifice. And so they get up the mountain. Abraham ties his son up as he would a sacrificial animal. And the moment he's about to fully obey what God had told him to do, an angel of the Lord calls out. He says, Abraham, Abraham, the Lord has provided a ram to be sacrificed instead of your son. And so Abraham took the ram, and Isaac's life was spared on that day. Have y'all ever wondered why that story is in your Bible's friends? You see, this near yet spared sacrifice of Isaac is meant to show us a picture of a man who wrestled with the pain of almost giving up his one and only son, but didn't have to because God would later give up his own. You see, God provided a ram for that sacrifice in their case, friends. And that foreshadows how God will provide the promised lamb as a sacrifice in all of our cases. The lamb who has been given as a sacrificial offering for the sins of the world is Christ Jesus, the one and only son of God. Christ the son, given as a savior and peace for the world. It was the ultimate sacrifice on God's part. And unlike Abraham, God actually went all the way through with it. Glory be to God, he went all the way through with his sacrifice. Uh, there's a book with the title Peace Child. Uh, this book details the, the missional work of uh, Don and Carol Richardson. Uh, they were a missionary couple who, uh, in the 1960s, devoted their lives to taking the gospel uh, to reach unreached tribes in remote parts of New Guinea. And they established themselves among a particular tribe known as the Sawi people. Uh, now, these people, even in the 1960s, lived with lifestyles of Stone Age people. They were not very advanced in technology. They had very little uh, resources. They, they still lived as kind of uh, cyclical nomads in their region of New Guinea, and they had never come in any contact with any other demographic of human beings. So they were truly unreasonable. They, they had only ever been in contact with themselves, and therefore they had never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the Richardsons established themselves among these people. They began trying to learn the people's language. Uh, they studied their culture for years. They, they did all they could to learn these people and to try to find commonalities by which they could eventually share the gospel with them. Where well, they made progress in the language, relationships were built and deepened, but they kept running into these gospel roadblocks. They, time and time again, they run into these gospel roadblocks because the Sawi people had a completely different worldview. You see, their perception of what was good and moral and, and worthy of celebration was almost opposite of ours. Uh, they prided themselves on killing and, and war and deceit and treachery. So much so that one day Don was sharing the gospel, uh, with, the gospel story with a group of them, and they got more excited about Judas than they did Jesus. They're hearing the gospel story, and they said, oh, we like this story. Continue to tell us about Judas. And Don was like, no, no, no. What you actually want to hear about is Jesus. And they said, no. We like Judas because he's like one of us. It shows you the extent of their depravity and the distortion of their minds. 
And so naturally, Dunn was discouraged by this, and he was unsure of how he would uh, continue to communicate the gospel to a group of people who didn't even think along the same lines of good and evil in the right ways. Uh, theirs was, was, their way of life was one of killing and, and war and murder, and their celebration of this lifestyle was present, preventing the Richardsons from being able to share the gospel with them. So he's trying to communicate to them that peace and love was the way they were created to live, but there didn't seem to be any common ground for the people to actually understand this. And just when Don was near giving up, the Lord granted a gospel segue for them to share with the Sawi people. One day, Don and his wife heard a bunch of ruckus, this, this, these loud cries and, and chaos outside of their hut. And so Don assumed that there was another war or a riot about to happen. But when he walks outside to see what was going on, what he found was that a father had taken his newborn, his newborn son, he'd taken his newborn son away from the child's mother, and this man was in a full-on sprint in the direction of the enemy village. The mother's crying out behind him. She's saying, no, 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 like, please stop. Why do we have to do this? He's my only son. Other people have multiple sons. Let them do it. Why do we have to be the ones to do this? And so Don asked another person from the village to explain what was happening. He needed help to understand what was going on. And the person told Don that this man was doing what Don had been telling him to do. He says, you've been telling us, you've been urging us to, to make peace with our enemies. Well, this is the sign of peace in our culture. He says, the ultimate gesture of peace to bring a newborn baby boy as a gift for your enemies. Well, that father eventually returns to the village. He doesn't have the newborn son with him. And then not long after, a father from the enemy village runs into their village to leave his newborn son. And as Dunn watched this happen before his very eyes, as he watched this exchange between these two enemy villages, he recognized that God had answered their prayers by giving a cultural example by which Dunn could share the gospel with the Sawi people. And so Don told these people that in an even more significant way, God had given a peace child. He told the people, friends, that God had given his one and only son. He told these people that, that God's sacrifice of his son meant that we who were his enemies had been offered peace with him. And then after some time of unpacking this truth, I mean, Sawi people started to get saved. Like they were being saved by the gospel because Don could now teach them that peace had been given through the offering of a son. And that's what I want to remind y'all of this Christmas Eve morning, church. Peace has been given to you through the offering of a son. Jesus is the son of God who was born like us as human beings and hung for us as wretched sinners, but then rose ahead of us as a reborn, resurrected from the dead son of God. And I think Paul said it right in Romans 8, that Jesus is the firstborn of many sons. I think he said it right in Colossians 1, that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. And I think he said it right in Romans 5, that we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Like we've been made into sons of God and we have peace with God because of Christ, the original son who came to make peace and share his father with us. And so we reminded this morning, church, that God has proven his love for you in this. He gave his one and only son so that you might have peace and be made into a son yourself. God gave his son and Christ came as the son of God. But what is the end result, right? Like what's the end result of Christ the Son coming to us? I'm glad you asked that. It's a good question. It's the most important question for all of humanity. It's the most important question for all of our individual lives. It's a fitting question for us to think about on Christmas Eve and on any other day for that matter. What is the end result of Jesus, the Son of God, coming to the earth? The text tells us that the end result is that we can be saved. So Jesus came as the Son of God. And by so doing, Jesus came as the Savior of man. Look at the end of verse 16. 
God gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Look at verse 17. God didn't send him to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The beauty of these verses, friends, is that salvation is made possible through Christ Jesus. The sonship of Christ means that that when he comes to hide us in himself and and when when he invites us to, to stand in his place, he's able to restore a son to father connection between us and God. That's what Jesus saves us into. He saves us back into the family that we left and abandoned in our sin. And notice how in verse 16, it says that this is for everyone who believes in him. This means that all who believe, like all who take up faith, that this true faith, God-given faith, that Christ is the Lord and Savior from sin, can have him as their own Lord and Savior. And so if you're in the room this morning and you don't yet have Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you don't yet have this hope of eternal life, if you don't yet have the, the salvation that these verses talk about, I want to plead with you today. Take up faith in Jesus. Take up faith in the Lord Christ. Repent from all things that dishonor and displease him and receive the gift of peace and restoration to your heavenly father. You may think to yourself, well, you don't understand, preacher. Like I'm I've done some pretty radical stuff. Like you just don't know what I've done. I don't think God would want me after all it is that I've done. And you're right. I don't know what you've done, but I do know what the end of verse 17 says. Jesus wasn't sent into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. This means that it doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus wants to take your filthy deeds and save you from the eternal consequences of them. He came, friends, as the savior of mankind. And this isn't just a reminder or or news for non-Christians. This is also a reminder for Christians. You see, God's character, as, as seen in Jesus, is not best depicted as one who points a finger. His character is best depicted as one who offers a hand. God's want, he wants to pull you out of condemnation into salvation. I mean, the condemnation is already there, right? We do that to ourselves. We're born into sin. We're born with sinful behaviors. We know that we're sinners because of our God-given consciousness, and we're condemned by the fact that we sin in spite of what we know. The condemnation is already there. Like, judgment comes by our actions alone. But redemption and freedom from this rightly deserved judgment and condemnation, that comes by the actions of Christ. He came as God's son. He came as our savior. And all who believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God tells us, church, that we can be saved from the punishment of our sin, but also saved to an eternity in heaven. Spared hell and given heaven. Spared the punishment of perishing and given the grace of glory. That's what Jesus came to bring. That's what he's coming back to finalize. You know that story about the Richardsons and uh, the time they spent among the Sawi people is one of the most inspiring stories about the work of God in this current era of Christianity. I mean, many of the Sawi people have come to believing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it all started with this gesture of a baby being offered. One of the more beautiful parts of the story is that the Richardsons got to tell the Sawi people about how, how final this peace that had been offered from God could be. You see, the Sawi people had, as a part of their custom and belief, uh, this belief that, that the peace offering given through a baby boy only lasted for as long as that baby boy lived. And so if they offered a newborn baby, peace would be established for a time, but once that child grew up and, and hopefully lived as an adult and then eventually died, the peace between the two tribes would be broken. Well, the Richardsons got to tell the Sawi people 
that the baby boy named Jesus could offer eternal peace with God because he defeated the grave by rising to eternal life after death. Friends, the reason we can bank on the promise that all who believe in Jesus won't perish but have eternal life is because it's an offer of what Jesus already has for himself. The peace that the baby Jesus brought will never end because he is the peace offering that will always live. He came as the son of God. He came as the savior of man. He's coming back to usher us into eternal life. Let's pray. Lord, we know that peace with you is the longing of every human heart. We know that you've made it possible through the sacrificial giving of your son. And we just want to say thank you today. Thank you for doing for ourselves what we could have never done, for doing for us what we could have never done for ourselves. Thank you for willingly bridging the gap between us and you with the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Lord, I pray and ask that we don't leave taking lightly the sacrifice that this was. What we consider the great weight that your one and only true son you gave so that we could be adopted as sons. Might those of us who've been won over by this truth never lose sight of it. And might those who haven't be given sight of it. We rejoice in Christ. We rejoice in his birth. We rejoice in the fact that he's coming back. We pray all of these things in his holy, matchless name. Amen.